You found the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please help the show out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Well, since we're here discussing patrons, let me say thanks to uh, our new Patreon since the last time we spoke. Uh, we had to thank Nancy, uh, Julian, Nanki, Amanda, Tom, and Delos. I guess uh, probably a last name. Uh, you put usernames in there, so I'm not always sure what they are. Listen, folks, thank you so, so much for helping out the show and, uh, you know, keeping us on the air. I mean, that's what Patreons do. If you go over to patreon.com, uh, slash digging Oak Island, you could pledge $5 a month to the show to keep us going. That'll help me, uh, you know, put aside the time to do all the research and stuff we need to do this. Uh, keeps me from having to put advertisements on the air, um, on in between here. Um, haven't, I'm not really doing that. I've done it a couple of times, not really happy with the results. So I would like to try this before I go to uh, <laughs> go back to advertising and see how the Patreon thing does. So far, it has been great. Uh, as a Patreon, there is like a message board on there. And once the season starts up, I'll be uh, putting lots of messages and stuff and maybe even hitting that live um, during the show as the show is airing. Anyway, for this episode here, it is time for our final preseason listener question show. Um, we have so many questions that pile up over the summer. I usually get to do them each week if we get them during the season. Uh, and I obviously encourage all of you to do that. Um, so feel free to send us an email in uh, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. I'll do that during the season as well. But we have all these sort of piling up for this summer. So I want to get to as many of them as I possibly can here in this show. I want to begin by mentioning an article sent to me by Gary in Yorkshire, England, which I talked about a few months back when we did our first listener questions for the summer. This was an article that was pu published in 1866. It was in the New York Herald. Um, Gary first found it and sent to us as archives from a paper overseas called the Leamington Advertiser. Um, first, thank you, Gary, for the better version which you sent, the original version, the... Um, the New York Herald version, hunting down the origin of this article a little more for, for us. I'm still looking into it some more. This is a really fascinating piece of information uh, that kind of changes around some of the early 1860s original sort of tellings of the discovery. So I think we will definitely get to that as time goes on. I'm just poking into it a little bit more, um, trying to get a little bit more information about it. I can't even find an, an author for it yet because the author only says something to the effect of, you know, or a correspondent or something. Um, again, it's fascinating. I want to spend more time on it. So hang on to that for just a little bit. Okay, speaking of Gary, he's been doing some great research for us. Uh, he wrote me an email and says this, uh, Hi Dave, thought you might be interested in this attached documents I have downloaded from the Nova Scotia archives. The first is a poll tax from 1791 through 1795. As you can see, there seems to already be four inhabitants of the island. Donald McGinnis, John Monroe, Samuel Ball, and Neil McMillan all are shown as being farmers. Anthony Vaughn is listed below these, but not as a resident of Oak Island. If this is the same Anthony Vaughn who is named as one of the original searchers, then he is unlikely to be 13 years of age, as stated in most of the versions I've seen. In fact, I have seen a version in which he and John Smith were in their 70s in 1849. 
The document, the second document is a census poll tax return from 1793. On this document, you can see the above four occupants of Oak Island, and it shows that between them, they own seven cattle and no sheep. Now, it doesn't state what these cattle were, but my guess would be oxen, possible source of the famous oxen shoes. I hope this is helpful. Regards, Gary, in East Yorkshire, England. Gary, it is more than helpful. It is wonderful to have this kind of stuff kind of in my back pocket for when we get these questions about things like the original discovery and the validity of the story behind that. And we've poked a lot of holes in that over the years. And really, the worst and least accurate version of the story of the um, original discovery of the money pit really is the one most shown by the television show, oddly enough. The idea that three boys saw weird lights on the island and paddled over to this uninhabited, mysterious island and looked around and lo and behold, found this spot on the, on, on the ground that looked like it was dug out by a pirate. That is pretty much what they always tell you, and that is probably the least accurate telling and the most apocryphal of all of the tellings that you'll ever hear. And I get that question a lot. We talk about that a lot here. Um, and this information is just more proof of that, you know, proof that these were not boys, that the island was not inhabited. And there are a lot of people out there, I'm talking to you, James McQuiston, who believes that they didn't go out there accidentally, that they didn't fall upon this. That these guys knew what possibly could be out there and they went looking for it. There are a lot of people who believe that. Um, and there's a lot of information that tells us this whole idea of the boys and an uninhabited and the lights really is just the tall tale, honestly. And if it were oxen, which I would imagine it was, uh, and we could get some kind of proof of that, man, then we could stop obsessing over ox shoes found on an island that was a farm. I mean, there's no reason to believe that the presence of oxen on a farmer's island in the 18th or 19th century does anything to further some idea of military involvement or Templar involvement. It's just oxen. <laughs> they were everywhere that a farmer would have been. You know, I mean, that's just, they were ubiquitous and they still are to some degree, right? I mean, but certainly back then they were as ubiquitous to farmers as tractors are now. I guess that's probably the best way to say it. Anyway, Gary, great, great stuff. Please don't stop sending this stuff in. It is always great to have this stuff on here. I'm going to start making a file on my computer here for Gary stuff that he keeps sending to me. Uh, also want to mention... Um, that this, I, I want to mention another thing here before we kind of get into sort of some more questions. Um, this was sent to us by the geologist Stephen Aitken. Now, we interviewed Mr. Aitken a while back last year. Um, I think it was uh, September of 2020. And we talked to him about his theory that everything on Oak Island is basically predicated around a sinkhole. I don't want to go through it all. It's very confusing for non-geologists, but he does a pretty good job at sort of filling in the blanks for us and making it a little easier to understand. So go back and listen to that. But anyway, he wrote us, and I want to get this on the record just for him because that's why he sent this. Uh, Hi, Dave. I made a mistake during our podcast. I mentioned a video of unknown source of the cavern karst system at 10X. What I didn't realize at the time was that the video was taken after dynamite was detonated in a much smaller cavern measuring about three feet in height. Uh, 
The blast created a larger void. If the Curse of Oak Island ever releases their 2D, 3D seismic data, hopefully the car system can be mapped in detail. Unfortunately, that data is confidential at this time. I also added an appendix, Appendix A, of scientific data to my website that supplements my original poster. I've enclosed a digital copy PDF of the appendix and was hoping you'd alert your listeners to its presence on my website. Thanks, Steve Aiken. Uh, sir, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for the time you took. Uh, like I said, if you'd like to hear more on what he has to say about this, um, you can listen to our podcast. It was released in September 8th, 2020, called Could the Money Pit Really Just Be a Sinkhole? So it's a great kind of listen to get the sort of geological and, and I guess in quotes, skeptic view of things. Um, and he certainly has just a treasure trove of geological information on his website, Um which, let me get that for you while I'm thinking about it. Hold on one second. Okay, it is Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, Aitken, A-I-T-K-E-N, and the number three, dot Wix site, which is W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com. And once you go there, you'll see his front page. He has the... Um, the poster, a simplified geology. He's got pretty much everything on here, including a link to the podcast that we did. Um, he was a great, you know, really interesting guy to have on and um, highly respected doctor of geology. Okay, so I just wanted to get that on the record for him and out to everyone else. He sent in, took the time to send that into us. It's the least really we can do, but to kind of air his little correction. And thank you so much for that. All right, let's take a little short break here. And after some waves and some seagulls, we'll come back with your emails. All right, let's begin with an email from a listener named Trent who writes, Hi, Dave. Happy to have your podcast back on each week again. You're, you do a fantastic job and appreciate the different viewpoints, research, and analysis you always do on each episode and theory that is presented. I apologize if this has been answered in a previous podcast, but to my recollection, it has not. My question is, regards to the accuracy of the depth in which the Laginas drill the money pit, with all the excavating and dirt work that has been done over the past hundred years in the money pit, I'm sure the site has been built up or had earth pushed away several times, changing the elevation. How does the team know their borehole depth is accurate in comparison with previous digs that have occurred? When they hit wood at depth, don't they don't believe previous searchers have gone to before. How can they be certain the depth they have drilled had the same starting point as the boreholes or excavations previous to them? I hope I did an okay job explaining this question. Excited to hear your thoughts on it. Best wishes, Trent in Minnesota. Okay. In a word, they can't be sure. Um, I mean, obviously, they have no GPS locationing um, from, from old, from old hole, holes born. The depths are probably pretty accurate at the time, but as you mentioned, there's been so much earth moved around. It's going to be feet off for sure. Um, the maps from any time before really Fred Nolan, let's be honest, are sketchy. Uh, from before Dan Blankenship and Fred Nolan are sketchy at best. Certainly any time before pre-World War II, all of that mapping work is... Decent. I, I don't think it would stand up in court if that's the word I would use. Um, a lot of them are incomplete. We've seen many times in the show where somebody will say, oh, what? Well, this isn't supposed to be here. Well, that's because people didn't always know. Uh, they didn't always write it down. 
Uh, it wasn't like one group of searchers came on, failed, finished off, and left the island, and then handed all of their information over to the next group of searchers. Also, not very many early searchers bothered to keep any information. So we don't really have... The, 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 the long and short of it is, the worst kept secret on Oak Island is that before really the modern era, before Dan Blankenship, honestly, the records are poor. Sketchy, incomplete, any word you want. Um, so as far as being able to match depths and things, they really can't. They really can't. You know, um, they could certainly track current holes with unbelievable accuracy. I mean, they really can. But comparing them to old holes is just a very inexact and difficult thing to do. Um, they're doing a really good job now with seeing how, because when you drill down, right, you hit things, you hit difference. Sometimes the drill actually moves over. And in the old days, they didn't really know that, right? So your, your hole is not directly beneath you. It may be a few feet off to the right or to the left. In the old days, they didn't really keep track of that. They didn't really know that very well, but now they do. So things are getting better. And one of the things the Laginas are doing, and one of the great things that's going to come out of this, of what the Laginas and Prometheus and all the money thrown on the island is doing, is really putting together the most accurate sort of surveying and um, mapping of the island and the work that's done now that has ever been done now. A lot of people, I'm sure if you're online and you're watching researchers and things, will tell you that the Laginas are very guarded about that information. And everybody says things to the effect of, I believe one of our earlier, um, uh, I think Mr. Aiken even said in his thing there, unfortunately, the data is confidential at this time. You get a lot of people who are calling on the Laginas to open this up. They could do that. It would be probably the first treasure hunter in the history of the world <laughs> to ever do that. So I, I'm not holding my breath waiting for it, um, but it is there and hopefully it'll be passed on to the next generation of searchers should this search continue. Anyway, Trent, that's a great question. Um, one that I think somebody who is maybe a little more... Um, schooled in the drilling aspect and the geological aspect might have a better answer for than I do. Anyway, let's turn to a man with a great name, Dave in Texas, who says, Hi, Dave. I just discovered your podcast a few months ago. Really enjoy the information you gather for us fans. When the guys discovered the bones from two humans far underground, wouldn't they have been considered two additional deaths in search of the treasure before being the seventh and eighth death? After all, the legend says seven people have to die before the treasure can be revealed. Thanks, Dave in Texas. First of all, Dave, and I can't stress this enough, I do not believe in curses. <laughs> I, I just, that I am, when it comes to the paranormal, you're talking to the wrong person. I am not a believer. Now, I'm not saying I'm a skeptic and a hardened disbeliever, but you need to show, I, I'm a show me kind of person, right? I, I'm, I'm just very skeptical when it comes to paranormal and cryptozoology and things like that. I'm not a believer in that. Um, I don't believe in curses and I'm fairly certain, and I won't say it with complete certainty, I'm fairly certain that this invention as at least, at least that, that I'm sorry, that this curse is mostly an invention of the History Channel. Now, there might have been a little something here and there, maybe some legend, maybe some 
you know, stuff spoken now and again around the area, but I, it was definitely not something that was a factor to anyone pre the History Channel. But I'm going to entertain this for you, Dave, and that's because you have a great name. Uh, and, 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 and why not? I mean, this is the fun part, right? As far as the rules around the curse seem to be concerned, I believe it says that Seven had to die searching for the curse. Now, considering the age of those bones and whoever these people might have been, they were probably not searching for the treasure. And then there is the fact that if we do count those two individuals, then Prometheus would have to shoot an entirely new intro and come up with a whole new name for the show. And they're not going to do that. Anyway, thanks, Dave. Again, great name. Keep listening and keep the questions coming. And I love questions like that because that really kind of hits at the core of the show, right? Okay. Let's go now to Daniel in Sweden who says, hello, I'm a new listener at your pod and uh, also quite new to the Oak Island mystery. Have seen some episodes from season seven and eight on the History Channel, and that's all. There's a lot of knowledge missing. Maybe my questions, therefore, already have been answered. My thoughts are, if there was a big gold, silver books or something like that down there, and if there's some reality behind the ideas that there's some organization, the Templars, for instance, behind the treasure... Don't they have a plan for taking care of it? I mean, if a guard comes around 1795 and finds that someone had been looking for the treasure on the island, shouldn't that guard immediately take action to protect the treasure? You understand my thoughts. My two ideas, the treasure was already moved and the people who hidden it was gone. Uh, or two, there was no treasure. With that said, it's really exciting to think about this mystery, but I don't like their brutal diggings at the money pit and at the swamp. Seems they're interested. To, if they're interested to take care of what they may find, uh, and if something really is down there, then why are the authorities accepting their brutal way of work? Well, I have only listened to your latest two episodes, and I'm quite new to this world of the conspiracies of Oak Island with my bad English. But thank you for your pod. Greetings from Sweden, Daniel. Okay, first of all, Daniel, these are great questions. You did a great job. I think it is always nice to have somebody new write in and sort of refresh our thinking on some of these thoughts because we get so into the weeds in this podcast that when we get somebody new and a new perspective, boy, it really kind of lightens things up for us. Let me also say that your English is way better than my Swedish, considering I can't even come up with a Swedish word. So the fact that you're able to put together all of that into that and be understood as well as you were, man... Jeez. Again, your Swede, your English is way better than my Swedish will ever be. Um, the problem is, and this is what Gordon Fader would say, right? The problem is that most people talking about this thing, um, you know, think there are only three choices. The, not only the two you mentioned, but they think there are only three choices in all this, right? There either is a treasure there, there was a treasure there, or a treasure never existed. But the but the thing about the thinking of this is, why do those have to be the only three choices, right? What if there is something, uh, you know, what if this all is all about, you know, something that is indeed secret, something lost to history, something to learn, some way to rewrite history? Maybe there is something to discover, but that has nothing to do with treasure. Couldn't there be a fourth choice? 
And that's the line of thinking that really is now being examined by a lot of really qualified people, including Gordon Fader and Joyce Steele, right? So I agree exactly with what you're saying. And the brutal nature of the dig, uh, I mean, in the grand pantheon of um, Oak Island searchers, they are certainly not the most brutal. Uh, they actually have things like archaeologists on site and geologists. These are things that have never been there before in the 200-year history of this search. Um, this is the first time that these people are actually part of this of this whole thing. It, it is brutal. I think the idea of drilling straight down is, yeah, you know, especially if you think the Ark of the Covenant is there. I mean, how good would it be to run a drill straight through the middle of the Ark of the Covenant? But be that as it may. Um, you know, I agree with you in that sense, but I think more so the tr the crux of your email is about this idea of whether or not there is a treasure and would somebody have come and taken care of it. All of that is true, right? So that's what I mean. There really have to be now in our minds four choices. There is a treasure to find. There was never anything there to do with the treasure is number two, you know, it's just a sinkhole or something like that. There's a natural explanation that doesn't have anything to do with anything else. There was a treasure that has since been found or removed, or the fourth, there is something crazy and secret going on here, but it is not treasure. Anyway, I hope that answers your question for you. Um, and I think you're on to some really great line of thinking. Okay, let's go now to Mike who says, Dear Dave, just read the obituary of the man who was the Saturday Night Live censor for about 20 years. His name was William Clotworthy. I read it thinking, is he really to the Oak Island, related to the Oak Island narrator? The answer is apparently yes. He was an interesting guy, visiting the known sites of George Washington slept here legends and being related to Jamestown founder, founders. And he puts on an email, a, um, a website to a Post-Gazette News story about his passing. Uh, where he died, I think, at 95 years old. And this comes from Mike in Colliers, West Virginia. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, again, that is great info on uh, the family of uh, Robert Clotworthy, who is certainly maligned <laughs> in the Oak Island community. Um, I'll put it on the Facebook page if you guys want to read about that and, uh, and see what he's writing about. It's really cool information. Anyway, let me take a short break here and gather up my thoughts for the rest of your emails. All right, let's continue on here with Austin, who writes, Hi, Dave. This is Austin from Iowa. I just discovered your podcast this summer, and I really dig it. I'm, 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 I'm amazed how many people are writing me saying they just discovered it. This is awesome. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Oak Island, but one thing that's always in the back of my mind is, let's say they did discover the treasure while filming. Wouldn't it be all over the news? And if it wasn't on the news, can't we automatically assume nothing was found this season? Maybe you've touched on this topic before. I don't know, but I'd love to hear your input and thought on it. Thanks for your time, Austin. Austin, this is an impossible question to answer and one that gets asked a lot. Um, and, a, and a lot of people kind of answer it on their own with some sort of authority as if they know. You hear a lot of people on the on the internet saying, of course they wouldn't know if, they didn't, if it wasn't on the news. You have no idea. You have no idea. Um, I think that... Um, you know, maybe they could convince the government to keep it under wraps. Maybe there's a time frame with which they can um, announce any of this stuff. I mean, treasure rules and treasure laws are 
complex and crazy. Who knows? Um, my guess is that, and, and this is really true, somebody's thought of this already. And there is some sort of plan for this possibility. But it does seem to me, I mean, if I'm answering the question, impossible to really hide this from the media for months and months. Um, that would be required just because of all the people that would be somehow related to it and would have known. And, you know, this reminds me of something that uh, I talk about a lot. There's a sizable contingent of Oak Island fans that feel that they have already found this and they parse out little sentences here and there on social media posts from Jack Begley and from, uh, you know, people like, and uh, I think there's also some, uh, some people who have found some Gary Drayton posts that seem a little cryptic when you talk about it. Um, you know, a lot of people think that they've already found the treasure and they're just holding on to it so that they can continue making the millions and millions of dollars that they would make off of this show. As if they wouldn't make millions and millions of dollars from the fact that they found it and then wrote books and did all sorts of stuff that could have gone with that. Um, you know, all of this kind of thing. But the impossible point of all this the reason why I think it would be difficult to hide it from the news and almost impossible to hide it for years is because the amazing amount of people who are involved in all this. You have all the guys you see on the island, all of their family and friends who they've talked to. They have to keep it secret from all of them. You have all of the people working on the show. And I think what we forget is how many people they are, right? First of all, you have to assume that they found the treasure and that when they found the treasure, it was found by one of these guys in this group and nobody else was on site. So it wasn't part of any drilling company. It wasn't part of any, uh, you know, scanning company, none of that, because then those people and everybody they're associated with have to also be in on this ruse and perpetrating this fraud, but also all the people who filmed it, right? And everybody involved with that. They had to keep it from the from the sound guys and the editors and the caterers and the cooks, for God's sake, the people who drive them back and forth. It is dozens of dozens of people. We've talked about this many times before. It is impossible to keep something that big from that many people and any with any level of efficiency. I just cannot buy into that idea that just because you read a couple of cryptic tweets here and there um, that, you know, <laughs> that that means they actually found it and have successfully kept it from us for four years and have perpetrated this, essentially this fraud of this show. So when they do actually tell us what they found and it somehow comes out that they found it four years ago, then everybody would consider every single person on this show a complete and total fraud for have running this show for years and holding it. I mean, the risk in that just makes absolutely zero sense to me. I'm sorry, it makes no sense to me. And for the same reason, I think it's difficult to hold the finding of it from the news. Now, could they keep it kind of together for a couple of months before the show came out? Maybe, maybe. But I think certainly um, by now, by the time we go to air, I think a lot of us would be aware that the way this ends 
is going to be different. Does that make sense? That we would be on to something and certainly would be on to something after this you know, season is over and people have gone back to their homes and are off the island and the whole idea of the island bubble has been burst for the year and people are out and about. It just is almost impossible to do. Anyway, thank you so much, Austin. It's a great question. In the same vein, our friend Jock says, have you heard if they discovered that hoard of silver yet? If they make a major discovery, I would feel they would have a hard time keeping it quiet. Lots of bars in Nova Scotia. Cheers and keep up the good work, Jock. That's 100% what I mean, Jock, right? Um, Not to mention the dozens and dozens of people on the island. I mentioned there, there's also everyone. God forbid one one of your caterers has a few too many beers on the island and says something. Rumors travel fast. And that is the trait really of all conspiracies. And that's why most conspiracies end up being nothing but conspiracies. Because when you really start to think about it, you start to wonder, could it really be possible to hold that kind of information and to perpetrate that kind of fraud and those kind of lies? It gets very, very hard as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Anyway. Let's keep going on. Thank you, Jock. Thank you, Austin. Great stuff. Let's go now to Jen, who asks, Hi, Dave. I really enjoyed your interview with Laird Niven, but please clarify the probable inaccuracy. The year he states as Samuel Bald's birth does not coincide with the American Revolutionary War. At the 13-minute mark, Laird states, So we know he was born in 1842, I believe in South Carolina, um, I believe in the common tree uh, plantation. Then at 1330 minute, he marks again, uh, quote, but we do know that in, uh, 19, uh, in 1775, he escaped and came to the British. Thank you. And uh, thank you and your family for the time to entertain and enlighten us fans of the Curse of Oak Island. Jen, nearish Pittsburgh, PA. Jen, we are um, all Pirates fans here in, um, in my house. Uh, it's a long story for another day, but let's go buckos. Anyway, um, it's obvious. I went back and listened to this. Uh, it's obvious that Laird misspoke there. There's so many dates that come into play. Um, he probably died sometime in the 1840s. That's the information I have. So maybe that's the n- n- the date that flew into his head. You know, it's so hard to keep dates straight, man. This is why I can't. Right. I mean, this is why I'm not a historian because just keeping these dates straight is just so difficult. We know that Samuel Ball was probably born or was born in the early 1760s. Those exact dates of things like that are murky. Laird and his team are doing that kind of research now. So I think we're getting a better picture of that stuff. Um, What we know is that he was, when he fled to the British in the late 1770s, that he was a young, probably um, what we would call now high school age teenager. So that would put him as being born in the early 1760s, maybe 1762, 61, there's a a bunch of different ideas. There wasn't any birth records. He was a slave. Even death records in Nova Scotia in the 1840s are pretty murky. So we don't really have it, but just to clarify for you, he exactly just misspoke there. We, We know that Samuel Ball was born early 1760s. He came... um to the British in 1775. That's when he escaped. And what we think is that he did that as a boy of maybe 13, 13 or 14. I mean, incredible when you think about it. This man's entire life is just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, And that's why, I mean, we'll get right back into this because we'll start it again this season for sure. That is why I cannot stand the assumption that he had money 
only because he found a treasure. This was an incredibly driven, successful, and very smart guy who rose up from literally the worst possible circumstances one could imagine in that time and in that place, right? So uh, it, it bugs me when they say he could only have been successful because he found treasure. That's just simply not the case. He was successful because he was a very driven, very intelligent, and very ambitious guy who made a success out of his life after growing up in very difficult circumstances. Anyway, Thank you, Jen, so much. Uh, I think it's time to head back to Britain. And let's hear from Mark, who says, Hi, Dave. Greetings from the UK. Love the show and find the whole mystery a fascinating one. So thanks for taking the time to put all this together. I think by far the most arresting theory of recent seasons is Corian Mole's alignment theory, which made listening to your recent interview with him all the more interesting. One thing I did want to question here, though, is that Louis XIV didn't actually build Versailles from scratch. He merely built the huge envelope of buildings surrounding a pre-existing hunting lodge built by his father in 1623, I believe. So should we not be questioning that building and looking for links pre-Louis XIV? I'm sure Corian and Maul and company are well aware of this. Uh, let me stop here. Yes, they are fully aware of this. At some point in our conversation, either recorded or not, we were actually talking about this very subject. Um, about who built it in the hunting lodge and all that. Anyway, I can't answer for him. I, I, I assume he does know this. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure he does. So, uh, I, you know, we'll leave it for him. Anyway, back to the email. We are yet to find out about this quote-unquote new alignment Corian Mall mentions, which is more accurate with Nolan's Cross, but I found it particularly interesting when you mentioned the Sun King and knowledge of any alignments that Corian simply replied, he knew. Yeah, he did. <laughs> perhaps because of his father, or perhaps you know, you know. Me, me, we don't know why he did, but I, I also know that um, there was a lot that we were talking about there with the alignment part of it that um, he couldn't elaborate on just because he's under these non-disclosure agreements, and um, something might be coming up in the new season. The problem with that is I'm looking at him because we're do we actually did a video conference, and I could see when he's kind of. You could tell he's kind of squirming in his chair a little bit and he's holding back some information and maybe that doesn't come over to the listener as much as it does when you're seeing it, uh, but there definitely is more to this story, so stay tuned if you're interested in this particular theory. Anyway, just wanted to drop the mail as a big fan of the show. Thanks for all your hard work. P.S. Regarding the money pit itself, if we are to believe that there was any genuine Templar treasure on the island, surely common sense would dictate that the modern incarnate of the Templars, Freemasons, or even Illuminati, <laughs> would have removed said treasure long before the arrival of any treasure hunters, let alone TV cameras and sightseeing tours. Thanks for taking the time to read my email. Keep up the great work. Look forward to your next season. Kind regards, Mark in the UK. As for that last bit there, Mark, you know, that's a good point. It's one people make a lot. Um, but come on, man. It's not very fun, you know? <laughs> I also don't know... Uh, um, the link between the Freemasons and other sort of modern things or modern organizations are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Tenuous at best? Anyway, I don't want to get too far down into that. Uh, I absolutely subscribe to the idea, though, that no one would bury their treasure and then never come back to it. I mean, unless we're talking about one person working alone here, somebody who's on the run from, um, you know, literally a fugitive of justice, like a pirate or something like that. I mean, that's the only feasible scenario where somebody hides something with never the intent of ever coming back to it or passing down that information. 
uh, you know, and this whole idea of a uh, pirate on the run doesn't seem like a feasible op- option here. Anyway, great email, Mark. Keep them coming. All right, let's go now to Duncan, who also talks about my interview with Corian Maul. He writes, hi, Dave. Congratulations on the excellent interview with Corian Maul. Um, his mention of the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail immediately caught my attention. Like Corian, uh, this was the book that sparked my interest in the Knights Templar and Associated Mysteries. That's a rabbit hole many of us have gone down. At the end of your interview, I immediately grabbed my dog-eared copy of Holy Blood, Holy Grail to find the, sec- the sections referencing the artist Poussin and any links to Oak Island. Thumbing through Holy Blood, Holy Grail, I was reminded of the old BBC documentaries covering the topic, and to my delight, discovered they are still available on YouTube. I recommend anyone interested in the Oak Island enigma look them up. Um, They are a great watch for any Curse of Oak Island fans. The documentaries put together by Holy Blood, Holy Grail co-author Henry Lincoln are The Lost Treasure of Jerusalem, The Priest, The Painter, and The Devil, and the shadow of the Templars. I have really enjoyed the recent interviews. They fill in a lot of gaps not covered on the TV show. Keep up the great work. Best wishes, Duncan in Florida. Thank you so much, Duncan. I mean, you never know with this stuff, but after exploring things like the Founding Fathers and the British Navy, I absolutely am starting to get the feeling like the show may be going back to the Templars a bit this season as their little focus, uh, which unfortunately means a lot more wild speculation and the same B-roll footage we've been seeing for years. Anyway, again, thank you so much, Duncan. Now, that's all for today's questions. I think we're all caught up now, so uh, we're ready for the new season, and we're going to start talking about that in next week's podcast. And again, if you have any questions or comments you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. And always keep in mind, uh, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, uh, I may just answer it here on this podcast. If you don't want your message read, please just make a note of that for me, and I'll do my best to answer you when I do get a second. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. A shameless plug, as I always do, I produce another podcast called Sit Downs and Sessions. Me and my friend and radio host Chris Post sit down over a drink or two, and uh, we talk about pubs, music, politics, the paranormal, Basically, anything two guys would talk about at a bar, give it a listen. We've been kind of on hiatus for the last few weeks, uh, but we will get back to it once the uh, the winter sets in here. You can find sit-downs and sessions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your usual podcast places, that kind of thing. Also, I'm DJing again on the air uh, every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m., and then again from 4 to 5 p.m. You can find me from 2 to 4 doing a show on WDVR-FM called the Bourbon Street Bistro, where I play the music of New Orleans. And then from 4 to 5 p.m., the drive-time little hour there is called Island Vibes. It's music with a great sort of tropical feel to it, all reggae and trop rock and that kind of stuff. You can listen by going to WDVR-FM on Wednesday afternoons or just by telling Alexa to turn on WDVR. And don't forget, you can really help the show out by going to become a patron. Uh, if you think the show is worth $5 a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, I ask you please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who's done that already. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to do that. And thank you especially for the kind words. Don't forget, you can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to your search bar right in Digging Oak Island. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.